All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We have been on a, uh, not on a particularly uh, regular basis, but as the Lord has led, as I felt like the Lord is leading us, we have gone through the book, tried to go through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, and we've got to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and so now we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and let me get my notes out so that I'm not standing up here rambling like I do sometimes, but we've made it to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, so this morning, what I want to do this morning and this evening, what I want to do is kind of take an overview of the chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to look at it from a broad angle before we deal with the actual content of what the chapter says, because I, I do believe that there are some things in here that would be a great benefit and a great help to us. So uh, with that, let's read 1 Corinthians. Let's just read the whole chapter, chapter 5. The Bible says, It's reported commonly that, it, that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, <clears throat> excuse me, therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I, run in, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. For what have I do to judge them also that are without? Do ye not judge them that are within? But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. <clears throat> First Corinthians is certainly a loaded chapter. Uh, it deals primarily with the issue of fornication because that is what he's talking about, obviously. But there are a lot of things to be gathered out of the chapter. And so this morning I just want to make some observations about 1 Corinthians 5 in the context of the entire book. In other words, I want to look at where 1 Corinthians is placed within the, within the book, why it's where it's at, and uh, then tonight we'll look at how 1 Corinthians relates to the rest of the Scripture. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Lord, this uh, morning, God, we do thank you, God, for the small crowd that's here, God, and those folks that are at home listening right now, even as we speak, and God, those that may listen in the future, God, we pray that you'd take your word, take the truth of God's word, Lord, and use it, God, to minister to hearts, God, Lord, to deal with people's hearts, God, about their attitude towards you, God, their attitude towards sin, specific sin, God, their attitude towards themselves, God, I pray that you'd help us, God, to draw near to you, 
Lord, we certainly do thank you, God, for dying for our sins, Lord, and God giving us everything that you have in salvation. Lord, with all that's going on in the country right now, Lord, people I'm sure have listened to this stuff all week. And God, it becomes a situation, Lord, where folks get discouraged and get down. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd help them this morning, God, to set their their sights, God, help them to set their eyes, God, on something that's much, much better. It's far greater. It's far greater, God, than what's going on in the rest of the country, Lord, this morning. God, not saying that we should ignore that stuff, but, Lord, you're better. You're better than what's going on right now, Lord, and I pray that you'd help us, God, to remember that. Help us to tune our hearts, God, for just a little while this morning to what the Scripture says and get something. Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I made the comment that before we deal specifically with the chapter, with the content of the chapter, I want to deal with a broad overview of the chapter in relation to the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians and then tonight the rest of the Bible. So as a result, having said that, let me just make a a short disclaimer. Uh, As a result, this message may seem a little disconnected in some of its thoughts, but I think if you'll just bear with me, and hear me out as far as the the observations that I'm going to try to make. I think it might help you, and if it can help you, then maybe you can open your mouth sometime in the future and help somebody else, all right? All right, so first of all, let's take a look at at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's take a look at its location in regards to the rest of the book. This is a little bit like Sunday school this morning, but two hours of Sunday school won't hurt anybody. But anyways, in, in... its location in regards to the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 5 is the point at which Paul begins to deal with the external issues of the church at Corinth. Uh, up until this point, from chapter 1 to chapter 4, if you, if you kind of take a broad overview of what Paul's dealing with, really what Paul is dealing with from chapter 1 to chapter 4 is the attitude of the church, this particular church at Corinth, who is, must I say one more time, Uh, It is the most carnal church that Paul ever wrote to. There were good churches and there were bad churches. There were churches that were messed up on their doctrine. That was the church at Galatia. Uh, The church at Corinth was certainly had some issues with their doctrine. But the one thing that Corinth was known for was their attitude towards just carnal things. They, They were a carnal church and that was how they were known. So when Paul opens up the book of 1 Corinthians... He starts out with a, a, an abbreviated comment, and I, I don't know how else to say it other than that way. It's an abbreviated summary, I guess you could say, of a treatment of the subject of the gospel. That's in chapter 1. And then from chapter 1 to chapter 4, really what he's dealing with is their attitude. If you go through and look at chapter 2, he's talking about how that the Spirit of God can speak to them because they have their, it's the same Spirit, Spirit of God. They can understand spiritual things, rather, I should say, because the Spirit of God lives inside of them. And then in verse 3, he talks about, but you've got this problem, and the problem is, is that you're carnal. You're just carnal. And that's why you can't understand the meat that the Spirit of God, that the Lord wants to convey to you. The stuff that I would like to convey to you, Paul is saying, I can't really get it across to you because you're carnal. You're more, you're more mindful of the things of your flesh than you are of your spirit. Which, by the way, let me just take a moment and say this, that's exactly what's going on to many Christians in this pandemic with the, around the country. What's going on around the country is that people, Christians, not just people, Christians, were not ready. 
They weren't ready for it. You say, how were they not ready? They were not prepared because they weren't living a Christian life before this came on the scene. And so when it came on the scene, it blindsided them. And so now if you try, if you try to preach and encourage people and tell them, look, get in your Bible and get on your knees and pray and set your eyes on the Lord, people are sitting in such a state of despair and in such a stupor that they just forget all about it. Uh, you go and look at uh, how many people are tuning in this morning for Sunday school. Not many. That's kind of ironic. But I guarantee you, listen, I guarantee you that many people have tuned into what NBC and MSNBC and CNN has got to say earlier this week. You say, why? Because they, they wasn't ready. And what happened is the wind blew, so to speak. The wind blew, and they had their sails up, and the wind carried them away. That's right. That's right. I'm not saying that to really be... Uh, discouraging to those of you that are here or to those of you that are listening at home. But that's something that you've got to take into consideration. A carnal mindset is not going to help you when tragedy strikes. If you're more worried, listen, if you're more worried about your car and your house and your family relationships, which is something that you should be worried about. But if you're more worried about that stuff than you are worried about fellowship with God, when tragedy strikes... When, when mayhem comes on the scene, you're not going to have any peace of mind. And it's going to be very difficult for you to shake yourself out of the stupor that you got yourself in long before tragedy ever strike, struck. Correct my English there. It's going to be very hard to shake yourself out of that stupor. And that's what's going on in the situation around the country right now. And so you have a bunch of Christians sitting around discouraged and depressed and just about to lose their mind, not realizing, not realizing that, man, we should be the people that should be running around the church right now with victory in our hearts because we're saved, man. There's nothing that can take place that can separate us from the love of God. You say, you say, but brother Nathan, there's a grand possibility that the economy is going to be broke. Okay. All that, listen, and I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying that that is not something to be concerned about. All I'm saying is that why did you put all of your eggs in that basket, so to speak? Some Christians this morning have more confidence in the stock market and in the United States economy than they have in their, in their God. And so when when God comes and rattles the foundation and rattles the cage of the United States economy, people start losing their mind. Well, look, you worked for that. You worked to have that confidence in the, in the United States economy. And listen, I'm not telling you that I'm hoping. God knows my heart. I'm not hoping that the United States economy goes to the pits. But what I am saying is that if it does, I'm still going to heaven. If the black helicopters start flying over my house, spying on what I'm doing, if they start tracking me through the GPS on my phone, I'm still going to heaven. I've still got my sins forgiven. I've still got fellowship with God. I just, having a carnal mindset about this stuff is not going to help you. 
It's not going to help you. And so here you, you're, you're found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, listen, he's telling this church at Corinth, man, I'd really love to talk to you about some spiritual things. I'd really love to talk to you about some spiritual things, but you can't handle it because you're carnal. And so what he does is he starts dealing with their attitude, and he's talking about essentially what their attitude is, is that it's one of pride. I'm more important than this guy. Well, I'm following this fella, and I'm following this fella. Talk to a pastor uh, earlier this week, I forget what day of the week it was, and he was telling me that he was having a little bit of trouble teaching some of the stuff that he was trying to teach, and the problem is that he's got some fellas in his church that are more hung up on what Dr. Doodlesniffer has to say than what the Bible has to say. Well, buddy, you just you, you cut yourself out. You, and listen, that's the attitude of the church at Corinth. You can act. You can act like that's a spiritual attitude to take. Well, I follow, I follow Dr. Ruckman, and I follow Lester Roloff, and I follow Jack Hiles, or I follow this guy. You can act like that's spiritual, but it's not. They're ministers. They're ministers that are supposed to bring you from a place of, of being lost to a place of salvation. Through the Scripture, through the Spirit of God, I understand that. But that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to bring you from a state of spiritual immaturity to a place of spiritual maturity. The only way that they do that is by preaching the Word of God to you, by preaching Jesus Christ to you. They're ministers, he says in 1 Corinthians 3, they're ministers by whom you believed. That's all they are. You got, you got your eggs in one basket. You say, what's the problem? You're carnal. You're carnal. You're carnal. And so when somebody shows up and tries to talk to you about spiritual things, they can't because you can't handle it. <clears throat> Amen. Well, I just believe that there's a gap theory. Well, hey, man, if you're spiritually mature, can't you handle, can't you handle the fact that somebody might challenge that? Let me ask you something, Bozo. How do you handle how do you handle when a Church of Christ preacher tells you that you've got to be uh, that you've got to be baptized in order to be saved? You flip your lid at him, or do you try and genuinely take the Scripture and deal with him about the thing? I mean, he's a pastor. You're probably not going to change his mind, but there's a difference of attitude, and your difference of attitude is going to come out in the manner that you deal with him. I just, I don't agree with my pastor about what he's preaching. Okay, pray for him. That's all you got to do, unless you don't believe that prayer is going to really do anything, which is a possibility. Well, I'm not trying to necessarily preach through 1 Corinthians, uh, the, all of what we've preached through so far, but uh, I'm sure is a good review. I'm at least enjoying myself. Uh, nonetheless, so he goes through and he tries to, to talk about this, this issue of their attitude. And essentially what it boils down to, like I said, is pride. It's I, I can't listen to you and I can't listen to this guy and I can't listen to this guy because I have a list. And as long as the preacher preaches off of my list, then we're okay. The moment that he gets off of that list and goes to something else, well, now we have problems. I know that I'm preaching to the choir, those few of you, those less than 10 of you that are here. 
But nonetheless, those of you that are here, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but let me just say this anyway for the benefit of those of you that are here and might be listening at home. That's what gets a lot of Christians off the boat. What gets a lot of Christians off the boat is as so long as the pastor is presenting material the way that uh, they expect that material to be presented. In other words, as long as it's presented dynamic and woohoo, let's go to town, or on the other end of the spectrum, so long as he's presenting it in a calm, dignified manner, then we're okay. But the moment that you step out of the bounds of how that individual expects those things to be preached, uh, preacher, you're not right with the Lord. I know I'm telling the truth. I know I'm telling the truth. Listen, uh, you talk like a jerk. You preach like a jerk to people in a church. And there are a group of people that that kind of preaching will always attract. You know who it'll attract? Jerks. That's right. It'll attract morons just like the guy standing up behind the pulpit being a moron. If you preach like a panty-waisted, limp-wristed preacher, you know who that's going to attract? It's going to attract people just like that who have an appetite whose hearts are just that way. If you preach the Bible, if you preach the truth, you know who that's going to attract? It's going to attract people who want to know the truth. That's the way it'll turn out every time. That's the way that it'll turn out every time. And you take, you get on either end of the extreme side of the spectrum, and what you're dealing with is you're dealing with carnal people. You're dealing with people that are more interested in how can I make this as sensational as possible? Have you ever thought about that? I'm really kind of preaching in, a, in an area where I hadn't intended to preach, but I feel like this needs to be said. Have you ever considered the fact that the guy who's standing up preaching like a jerk is really doing the same thing that the guy who's preaching like he has a limp wrist, he's doing the same thing. It's just opposite ends of the spectrum. This guy being a jerk is being sensational. This guy being limp-wristed is being sensational. I have no problem with being sensational so long as it lines up with the truth. Right? There's nothing wrong with feelings as long as your feelings are in accordance to what the Bible says. But the moment that you let your feelings drive, get in the driver's seat, and truth has to get in the trunk, it doesn't matter which side of the spectrum you're on. You're wrong. I just like hard preaching. I do too. Really, I do. I really do. But you heard it said this morning in Sunday school, at least I hope you did, you heard it said this morning that the thing that you've got to allow to be the offense is the rock of offense, Jesus Christ. I'm not, I'm not looking for somebody whose feelings I can hurt. I have. I have done that before. And you know what it produced? Hurt feelings. Wow, that was really deep, Brother Nathan. It, it really is. That's all it produced. All it produced was hurt feelings. It, nothing ever rode around in the background to where God took the truth and was eating at their soul, which is what you want. 
You want God to be able to take the truth and say, you know, you know what that preacher was saying was right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some of you folks listening out there over the internet, what your problem is, is you're more interested in being a jerk than you're interested in just getting along with what the Bible says and just saying that. Trust the Lord. Do we still believe in the Holy Spirit? Okay, if we believe in the Holy Spirit, the element, the, the, the means, the method that the Holy Spirit uses to deal with the hearts of men is the Word of God. They work together. And there's a reason for that. It's because they are one and the same. That's right. Holy Spirit is God, the Word of God, the second member of the Trinity. He's God. So they work together. Well, listen, can't you just preach the Word of God and trust the Lord to do the work? If, you, if you're carnal, you can't. Anyways, I spent much more time on that than I felt like I should, but it was right nonetheless. Let's move along very quickly. So the issue is pride in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he goes through still dealing with their, with their attitude, still dealing with the way that they perceive things. And then in chapter 5, he, he spent, in chapter 4, let me say, he spends this time dealing with their attitude. Then in chapter 5, he begins dealing with the issues, and he does that really all the way to chapter 14. He does that all the way to chapter 14. That's nine chapters dealing with issues. Four chapters dealing with attitude, nine chapters dealing with issues. That's kind of an interesting observation. Then in chapter 15, he deals with doctrine. You know what he starts with in, in chapter 15? He says, moreover, I declare unto you the gospel. And he tells you what the gospel is. You know what that means? That means before he can ever really take the gospel and present that out, he has to deal with issues first. We'll get to that here in just a second. So he goes in chapter 15, he deals with doctrine. In that chapter, he emphasizes doctrine. He starts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He proceeds from there to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He proceeds from there on how that resurrection relates to you as a believer. And then he ends the chapter with the logical conclusion of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the rapture. That's what chapter 15 ends with. So he starts 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 4 dealing with attitudes, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 going through verse 4, chapter 14 dealing with issues, chapter 15 he starts with the gospel, he goes to one of the parts of the gospel, the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then deals with your resurrection, then he deals with the rapture, and then in chapter 16 he concludes with instructions, thanks to people that have helped him, so forth and so on. So listen, the order of the book is really a message in and of itself. It really is a message in and of itself. The root problem of a carnal Christian, as we've already mentioned, is his attitude. The root, listen, the root problem of a carnal Christian is not issues. It's his attitude. You know, why a person, you know why a person lives a carnal life? Because his attitude, his perspective, is that I am the most important thing in the universe. And so my desires trump truth, and I don't mean President Trump, it, it, it overcomes whether or not truth is really 
is really the most important thing. My desires, my plans, my dreams, my will, that is the most supreme thing. That is the thing of most, the most supreme importance in my existence. It's what I want. It's me. That's the attitude that, is, that causes all of the issues in a carnal Christian. That's where they all come from. And so the problem with a carnal Christian is the same problem with an immature child. It's self-exaltation. That's the problem. I'm the most supremely important thing in life. And what that produces is a Christian who's governed by his preferences instead of God's power. He's governed by his personal taste instead of God's truth. As a result, listen, as a result, that carnal Christian is never able to look at things in an, in an objective manner. He can't look at things objectively. He can't take his feelings, he can't take his preferences and put them off to the side and look at an issue and say, this is the way that God looks at the matter. That's an objective viewpoint. It's from the, it's from the perspective of this is true regardless of whether this is my child or the other guy's child. This is true whether it's my job or whether it's the other guy's job. He can't do that. A carnal Christian can't do that. What he does is what all the Democrats do and what many of the Republicans do. Something is wrong so long as I'm not involved in it. The moment I get involved, well, then it's not so bad. That's what a lot of preachers are doing, by the way. It's wrong to get pregnant out of wedlock so long as it's your daughter. The moment it's mine, well, then everything changes. No, it doesn't. It doesn't change. God is not going... God, God does not change His mind just because you screwed it up. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, you've, a carnal Christian can't look at things objectively. His attitude doesn't stay on the inside. It always finds a way to manifest itself in some manner. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, I believe it is, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What's on the inside, this supreme attitude of self-importance, it manifests itself, Manif manifests itself in your marriage. I don't have to say anything more about that. I could, but I don't have to say anything more about that. You can spot that if you're honest. If you've got half a brain cell working in your head and you're honest, you can see how that manifests itself in your own marriage. And I'm not talking about her or I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about you. <laughs> I'm the most important thing. Let me move on. I'll spend too much time there. I'll ramble too much. But that's true. And listen, because of that attitude, listen, because of that attitude, you know what pops up on the outside? Issues. Which is what Paul takes nine chapters and deals with. So listen, let me point out a couple of things about this. If you're going to get any help as a carnal Christian, you know what first has to be dealt with? Not the issues. It's your attitude. That has to be dealt with first. But once the attitude is dealt with, that doesn't mean that we just back off. It doesn't mean that you're justified in being left alone. Now we have to deal with the, the issues on the outside. Paul did not take the attitude. Listen to me. Paul did not take the attitude that if a man gets his heart right with God, everything else will just automatically take care of itself on the outside. Paul didn't take that attitude. And so what he did is he said, listen, here's your attitude. It's wrong. It stinks. You're proud. 
Okay, once you get that right, once we deal with that issue, now let's deal with the issues. Let's deal with the, the actual things that have manifested themselves in your conduct that are being a source of stench to the rest of the church. You do realize that if you're not carnal, listen, if you've got a spiritual bone about your body, you're concerned about what's going on with, with your conduct in the relation to the rest of the church. We're, we're not just concerned about how our conduct hurts us. How's it going to hurt my brother? How's it going to hurt my sister? How is it going to help? How is it going to hurt or help the folks that are that assemble themselves on a regular basis down at our local assembly? That's what a spiritual person considers. Carnal people couldn't give a rip about that stuff. That's right. That's right. So Paul doesn't shy away from the issues. In other words, Paul doesn't take the attitude that if you address a man's attitude on the outside, you don't have to address his conduct. Four chapters he deals with attitude. Nine chapters he deals with the external conduct. And so, listen, I'll grant you that before Paul addressed the, in, before he addressed the external, he did address the internal. But addressing the internal issues is not justification for ignoring the external stuff. So because a preacher gets up and tells you that you must be born again, don't get mad with him when he gets up the next Sunday and tells you to quit drinking. Just because a preacher tells you, listen, you need to get right with God and you need to get your fellowship with God mended up, don't get mad with him when he stands up the next Sunday and tells you you're wrong for putting tobacco in your mouth. That's right. So I, I just... This is, just, this is just the way I am. Well, the way you is is incorrect. Get it right. You've got to get the external issues taken care of. You've got to get the external issues taken care of. Now listen, let me point this out. The very first issue that Paul addresses is not hatred. The first issue that he addresses is not drunkenness. The first issue that he addresses is not stealing. You know what the first issue is? fornication shouldn't be no surprise hold your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and flip over a page and look in chapter 6 chapter 6 verse 9 chapter 6 verse 9 of 1 Corinthians he says know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God be not deceived what's the first thing on the list it's fornicators Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. You think he got the point across? Then after that, now we break into thieves. Now we break into covetous. Now we break into drunkards. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Look in verse 19. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, the Bible says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Number one, adultery. Number two, fornication. Number three, uncleanness. Number four, lasciviousness. Then idolatry. Then witchcraft. Then, okay, and then we get the first thing that he's dealing with in these lists is this matter of fornication and adultery. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, look in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But, number one, fornication. 
And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Paul, I, I get this feeling that you're a little prejudiced against this matter of fornication. It's the first thing he's named in, it, in all of these lists. Neither filthiness, verse 4, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this, for this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Well, boy, Paul, you're really putting a whooping on this matter of fornication. Well, it's no surprise. It should be no surprise that there's something that, is, that sticks out like a sore thumb about this sin of fornication. Uh, look in Colossians chapter 3. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and look in verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Number one. You want to take a guess at what it is without even reading it? It's fornication. Then uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, into which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. So, Paul is not just pulling a rabbit out of his hat, so to speak, in dealing with the issue of fornication first. He knows that it's the issue that carnal people are going to have trouble overcoming. Very interesting. Oh, I, I think that that was just by chance. You're nuts. You're nuts. Listen, the phrase, the will of God, take your Bible and go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As you're turning there, let me say that the phrase, quote, will of God is mentioned in several places throughout the New Testament. You understand that? But there are not many places where the will of God, I didn't say any, I said not many places, not many, where the will of God is defined in absolute concrete terms. It is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know what the will of God is? Verse 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. You see that? Listen, if you abstain from fornication, you are lining yourself up with at least a portion of God's will for your life. Look in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, a council is called by the apostles at Jerusalem to deal with the question of whether or not the Gentiles could be saved. Because in the Old Testament... Gentiles did not experience quote-unquote salvation. And I say quote-unquote because salvation in the Old Testament is not exactly the same concept like it is in the New Testament. There are some major differences, which we're not going to get into that this morning. But uh, the way that a Gentile quote-unquote got saved in the Old Testament was essentially becoming a proselyte to a nation, Israel. And that's a very, very abbreviated, perhaps a dangerously oversimplified version of how a man is, a Gentile is saved in the Old Testament. But for purposes of what we're talking about this morning, I think that'll do. Now, in Acts chapter 15, up to this point, what's happened is Peter has gone and preached to a Gentile, Cornelius. And Cornelius has trusted Christ. He trusted uh, what Christ did for him at Calvary because that's what 
Uh, Paul, that's what Peter knew to preach. That's the message that he had. He preached, he believed, he spoke in tongues as a sign to Peter that, hey, God is now dealing with the Gentiles. What well, creates a ruckus with the Jewish leaders back at Jerusalem, the apostles? So Paul and Barnabas go back to Jerusalem to address the issue. And so they, they're trying to figure out, can the Gentiles be saved? If so, how are they saved? And if they can be saved and we figure out how they can be saved, what instructions do we give them? How do we get them started correctly in the infancy of their Christian walk? You know what the instructions were that they were given? Look in Acts chapter 15, verse 28. This is a letter that they're writing to the Gentile believers. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that ye abstain from, number one, meats offered to idols, number two, from blood, number three, from things strangled, and number four, fornication. He told them, listen, if you want a list on how to get started in your Christianity, not going to address the issue of drunkenness. We're not going to address the issue of stealing. We're not going to address the issue of covetousness. What we're going to first address is your relationship to these idols, to these false gods, and meats offered to those false gods, and we're going to deal with this issue of fornication. You get those things taken care of, start working on those things, and we'll continue to deal with you. We'll God will continue to build on that foundation. And so when Paul deals with a Gentile church that is... It's the church. They're not any longer Gentiles as far as God is concerned. They are members of the body of Christ, but they're carnal. They're believers that are still wrapped up in the old way of living. The very first thing that he deals with is, lo and behold, fornication. Listen, if you've been saved for any period of time, if you've been raised in church... You got saved when you were five or six or seven years old, and now you're 21 and 22 years old. Fornication should not be something that you're dealing with. That's an elemental, that is a very basic issue that you should have ironed out already, unless you're carnal. Listen, in 1 Corinthians, before Paul deals with marriage, before he deals with meats offered to idols, marriage in 1 Corinthians 7, meats offered to idols, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Before he deals with supporting preachers, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Lord's Supper, gifts and speaking in tongues, spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues. Before he deals with any of that, the very first thing that he deals with is fornication. And buddy, the times haven't changed at all. Times haven't changed. You find a church that's fallen apart at the seams. And what you'll find is a church that's taken a lax attitude towards fornication. This church or any other church. Find a church that's fallen apart at the seams and you'll find a church that's taken a lax attitude towards fornication. You say, yeah, but I know such and such a church and they had an affair go on in their church and man, they've got people coming in left and right. You know who they're bringing in? More fornicators. What person who proclaims to be saved, who professes to be saved, and it's possible that they could be saved? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, man. I, I don't know. We'll deal with that when we start dealing with the content of the chapter. But I don't know what else to tell you. It's possible that a fornicator could be saved. But, buddy, you're not going to enjoy it. 
But we'll get to that when we deal with the, the content of the chapter. But having said that, what person who professes to be born again is not and is a fornicator is not going to enjoy going to a church that has fornicators for pastors and song leaders and quote-unquote music ministers. That's, that's where, where the fornicators will flock to. That's right. You say, well, preacher, nobody here in People's Baptist Church and nobody listening to the sound of your voice over the internet or at home or wherever they might be. You say, nobody here is engaged in fornication. Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, it says, Who know in the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So you're not engaged in fornication, but why do you take pleasure in those that do? You say, well, what do you mean? You're entertained by it. I think one of the most profound things that I ever heard a preacher say is that, I heard it said right here in this pulpit, is that, you know, you'd have a cow, you'd have a fit, and rightfully so, if someone raped your mother or raped your wife. And I don't even feel right saying that from behind the pulpit. That's an egregious thing. That's really egregious. But you'd have a cow, you'd flip your lid if that would, took place, but you're entertained by that stuff on NCIS and NYPD Blue and Law and Order. Why? You take pleasure. You say, I, I really don't take pleasure in that. I enjoy the, the crime scene. Well, but why would you want to have any part to do with that stuff anywhere in your house? That's not, that's not something that I enjoy considering. Mm -hmm. Why do you? Why do you? Listen, if you found out that your spouse was cheating on you, you'd put them on the road, and yet you turn on the television, and you're entertained by folks that are cheating on their spouses left and right. Uh, you, could name the, you could name the stars better than I could, because I really don't keep up with them. I say you could. Maybe you couldn't. Praise God if you can't. But some of you folks that listen to this, I know you could name them. I know you could name them. And yet you don't think nothing about that. I'm not fornicating. Yeah, but you're taking pleasure in those that do. That's why, listen, that's why people are more interested in People magazine. You know, you know all that stuff is is a cesspool of fornication. That's all that stuff is. All that's going on in People Magazine is who's, getting, who's shacking up with who and who's got along with this one and what's going on here. And I'll tell you something, ladies. Listen to me real close. That's what those soap operas are all about. You say, yeah, but they never go into explicit detail as far as actually engaging in the act on, on television. Yeah, but all those soap operas are about is the emotional uh, forerunning of that process of fornicating with each other. That's what soap operas are. No, preacher, you don't understand. No, you don't understand. It's because you have, a, you have a taste for what goes in the septic tank. Amen, amen. You like that or lump it. That's the God's honest truth. I heard a fellow say one time, and I believe it's, I believe it's pretty close to correct, if not 100% absolutely correct, Soap operas are to a woman what pornography is to a fella. I, there, there's a great deal of truth to that if that's not 100% absolute truth. You better get away from that stuff, ladies. Better quit messing with that. That Harlequin romance, 
That's a precursor to fornication. Yes, sir. That includes your Gray's anatomy. Amen. God bless you. <clears throat> That's why you like TV shows like Extra. Got to create a TV show. That was t Extra was a TV show back in the late nineties. I don't I don't even know if it's on TV anymore. They ought to turn the slop off. But all that mess is all that mess is is just. What's going on with the fornicators in Hollywood? That's all it is. What you, what you so interested in that stuff for? I'll tell you why you're interested. Because you know if you do that, God's going to bring the hammer down on you. And so the closest you can get to it is by taking pleasure in those that do it. You, I, just, I can't do it in my own body, so I'll do it by proxy. You ungodly reprobate. That stuff entertain you in your mind. That's, that's a mess. That's a mess. It's no wonder our churches are in the shape that they're in. Falling in love with fornicators. Falling in love with fornication. Yes, sir. That's why you can sit down and watch TV shows like Ellen Degenerate. That's why you can sit down and watch shows like Rosie O'Donnell. I don't even know if the pig's on TV anymore. <clears throat> I said that correctly. The pig. She's a hog. Amen. That's that's wicked. That stuff's ungodly. Mm-hmm. That's why you that's why you take pleasure in people like Oprah Winfrey. You say Oprah Winfrey's not homosexual. You know how the 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 queer movement got into mainstream media? They got in in the nineteen 90s might have been the 80s, but it, I know it was at least in the 90s. They got in on the Oprah Winfrey show. Yeah. Oprah Winfrey started bringing them in left and right, and started trying to eliminate the quote unquote cultural taboo of homosexuals. Some of you Christian girls listening out there under the sound of my voice right now, you eat her up. You say, "How do you know?" You try to look like her. White girls. That's a mess. You say, what's going on? You're in love with fornication. And so it should be no surprise when Christian girls who are quote-unquote Christian celebrities who sing in churches go down to churches that are fornicating churches and flirt with all the fellas while they've got boyfriends or while they've got husbands back home. Don't tell me. I'll tell you. Seen it with my own eyes. Seen it with my own eyes. You say, what's going on? In love with fornication. Listen, it's going to be... Uh, a fella told me one time, he said, boy, he talking to me about the way that I was raised. I had something that I did in regards to my children. He looked at me and he smiled and he said, boy, it's really hard to overcome your raising, ain't it? I said, yes, sir, it sure is, and I'm thankful for it. Well, you know, that goes for the positive, but that goes just as equally for the negative. You sit at home while you're a teenager... And pump your mind full of Oprah Winfrey and Rosie O'Donnell and Will and Grace. You pump your mind full of all this garbage. Friends, you pump your mind full of all that garbage. Really hard to overcome that stuff when you become 25 and 30 years old. That's right. That's why you don't like quote unquote hard preaching. Which all that is is just true preaching. That's why you don't like that. That's why you don't enjoy that stuff. That's why you sit home and you listen to Elvis Presley. Mm -hmm. 
That's why your favorite singers are Elvis Presley, guys like Ray Charles, and Johnny Cash, all of them known fornicators. You in love with fornication? Mm-hmm. Yeah, brings a tear to your eye, don't it, old Ray? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You wicked, you ungodly. You better get that thing right with God. Listen, God wants you to get it right with Him. I'll tell you that. You know what else it produces? It produces people who have favorite preachers like Martin Luther King Jr. I love, Brother Nathan, I love Martin Luther King Jr. You know why a lot of folks, why a lot of black people got on board with Martin Luther King Jr.? One reason, he's black. He was fighting. He was fighting for quote-unquote civil rights, which was basically... Let's make them a protected class of people by the government so the government can rob them blind and annihilate them, which they ain't figured that out yet. Not all of them. Some of them have, but not all of them. And the guy that was pushing that right along was Martin Luther King Jr. He's one of the fellows that marched through, I think it was Atlanta, may have marched through Memphis. He, he was the guy that was pushing that stuff all along. Listen, I'll just tell you, I'll just be right up front with you. If it was right or wasn't, I wouldn't want to be no part of a movement headed up by a fornicator. You say, you're saying that because he's black. I'll say it because somebody's white. I wouldn't want to be a part of no church that Jimmy Swaggart pastored. Oh, Brother Nathan, you going to hold that against him? Yes. Absolutely. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, man commits adultery. He'll get to himself a blot that will not be taken away. Lump it, honey. Lump it. That's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. Not going to crawl in bed with Martin Luther King Jr. just because he's a black fella and the black people are mistreated. If the black people were mistreated, which they were not, but if they were mistreated, you don't need no fornicator to bail you out. You need God to bail you out. And so listen, a lot of, a lot of black mama, mamas and daddies got on board with Martin Luther King Jr. in the 1960s, the early 1960s. And you know what happened in the 1970s? The illegitimate uh, birth rate among blacks went through the roof. Something like 78%. Well, why should it not? You got on board with a fornicator. Why are you so surprised now when your daughter's coming home pregnant out of wedlock? You got on board with him. Listen, why, why is it considered so strange that when you're entertained by a rascal on television like Will and Grace, why is it a surprise when your boy comes home and says, Daddy, I'm gay? Why is it surprising? I'll tell you why. Because you've lost your marbles. You lost your mind. You lost your mind. And that's the issue. That's the first issue that Paul deals with among carnal, carnal, carnal Christians. It's the first one. Now listen, let me point this out and I'll cut you loose. I already preached longer than I had hoped to, but good for you anyway. Let me point this out. Paul deals with the issues from chapter 5 all the way to chapter 14. And then in chapter 15... 
Paul starts preaching about doctrine. He starts out talking about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. Then he breaks into this matter of dealing with the Lord's resurrection, breaks into dealing with your resurrection, deals with the rapture. And listen, but he does that after he deals with the issues. You know why a lot of Christians have no appetite? You know why they have no appetite for doctrine? You know why a lot of Christians have lost their appetite for hearing gospel, just simple gospel messages? You know why they've lost that appetite? They're in love with fornication. Absolutely. They're in love with fornication. Reason a lot of Christians have no interest in all of that stuff is because they're loaded with filth. You've loaded up on little De- Debbie cakes, and so when Mama brings in the cornbread and the lima beans and puts them on the table, I'm not hungry. Lester Roloff told a story. I'll take the opportunity to, to tell it again, but he told the story when he was a little boy. He used to go for a nickel. He used to go get a triple-dipped ice cream cone. Boy, for a nickel, man, I'm not sure what you could really buy with a nickel today. You might be able to rob somebody out of a piece of candy. I don't know. That might be a stretch. But he said for a nickel, he'd go get him a triple-dipped ice, cone, ice cream cone. He said it, on the way home, he'd eat that whole ice cream cone, eat the whole thing. And he said when he got home, Mom would be sitting the table with dinner, and she'd say, all right, boy, time to eat. And he'd say, no, ma'am, I, I'm not hungry. Thank you. And he'd go on and get ready for bed, and he'd go lay down. And he said he'd lay up until about 2 o'clock in the morning, moaning and crying. And he said my old mama would come in. He said my old mother would come in, and she'd say, what's the matter, boy? She, he said, he'd say, Mama, I ate triple dip ice cream. She said, ice cream cone. She said, yeah, you loaded up with a bunch of junk, ain't you? That's what's going on with a lot of Christians. Loaded up with a bunch of junk. You loaded up with a bunch of junk. You say, what am I going to have to do? What am I going to have to do to get my appetite for God's things back? You're going to have to get rid of that fornication. You say, but Brother Nathan, I'm not doing it. You're going to have to quit being entertained by it. You're going to have to quit being influenced by it. Listen, you're going to have to quit jumping along with preachers that are engaged in it. Yes, sir. You're going to have to quit getting along with people that think it's okay to fornicate and be a Christian. I'm not saying that you lose your salvation if you commit fornication. But why would you want to if you're saved? Amen. All right, Lord, we thank you for this morning, God, and I do pray, Lord, that you'd take the Word of God and use it. God, pray that you'd prick people's hearts. Pray that you'd encourage others, Lord, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.